0: Welcome to a special edition of the Tennis with an Accent podcast. This is your host Matt Zemek, and this is a special edition because it was not planned in advance but we are doing a uh, an added podcast in addition to Sockib's podcast with Steve Flink about his book uh, on Pete Sampras and also our U.S. Open preview show with Mert Ertunga and Andrew Burton. This is an extra podcast because of the developments surrounding the PTPA uh, over the weekend. We, we got bit to talk about it before the U.S. Open starts on Monday. So we're recording this uh, on Sunday afternoon. It'll eventually be distributed through our three main outlets, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. So joining us is Andrew Burton and also Tennis with an Accent consultant, Skip Schwartzman. I'm very glad to have him here to discuss the PTPA. So guys, thank you for being here. And I'm just going to start on a very general level. I'm going to start with Skip. Um, Just what are your general initial thoughts? We'll have plenty of follow-up questions to come, but just what's your general reaction to this, like the foremost things that come to your mind, the foremost things that you're concerned about?
1: Hi, Matt. Thanks for including me. Um, My first reaction upon hearing this was, how are they doing this in what is the most fractious professional sport of any consequence in the world? I don't get it. There are already enough acronym-based organizations in tennis. It not 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 only are there enough, but there are too many. Tennis suffers from a, a odd balancing act between the ATP, the WTA, the ITF, and all the individual associations that operate under the ITF umbrella, but not necessarily in coordination with the ITF, uh, example, the French Open announcing unilaterally that they were changing their date without consulting with anybody else. So that I I fail to understand how anyone really thinks that the addition of yet another organization into this mix is going to improve that, both from an organizational standpoint and from a marketing standpoint. I it's my contention that the idea that the men and women's rankings are developed differently, that their point systems are different, not just how the points are used for the ranking, but also that the points are different. Um, I, I just don't, I, it, I'm gobsmacked quite honestly. I, I I don't get it. That's number one. Um, and then the second thing is where the hell are the women in this after this tremendous Um, explosion of discussion sometime in the fall. I can't really remember when Federer first put out that tweet um, about the ATP and WTA merging and all the conversation that was had about that, plus and minus, negatives, positives, some people splitting down the middle. Why in the world you would come out with this without including the women and even calling it professional tennis players association, as opposed to the men's professional tennis players association leaves me gobsmacked twice over. I I just don't get it. So those are my first two takeaways. I have other thoughts about it as well, but those are the two prime things that, that popped in my head right away.
0: OK, you know, we'll, we'll certainly get to more takeaways from you uh, as, as we go along. So, Andrew, what are your foremost bullet points to, to, to address from this? And you know, obviously, we're going to be able to delve into them as we go along.
2: Yeah, so well, I'll go with um, why now? What is it? And where do we go from here? Why now, just before the U.S. Open? So I think that there are reasons for this and some of the reading that I've done since Vasek Pospisil announced that he was quitting from the ATP Players' Council, which he'd served on with uh, Novak Djokovic, John Isner, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, other players. We then learned that uh, Djokovic and Isner were quitting as well and that there was this new association in the works. So why now? That was, that was an important question for me. What is it? So what is the, the players association? And I think that the proponents of the players association have a completely different view to what it potentially could be than the what you could call the remainder of the players' council and the a t p and certain other bodies have so there's a there's there's really a fundamental question: Can this new association coexist with the a t p They say yes the a t p says no, so what the new association actually is there's still very little definition around it so far, so I think that's worth teasing apart. And then, where do we go from here? Skip's already brought up the question of women tennis players. And he's also brought up something which I think is really important, which is the the way that tennis is an ecosystem, rather than a than a much simpler sport that you might have. For example, if you think about, in the United States, professional sports like baseball, basketball, football, you typically have owners negotiating with players. With tennis, it's a lot more fractured than that. But you also have the fact that the women's game is very much the equal of the men's game. And this new organization, uh, Vasek Pospisil has tweeted today, clarifying some ideas about potential involvement of women in this new organization in the future but clearly when they kicked it off you've had a and i what may be an iconic photo or it may be a you know what the heck is this trivia question 30 years from now about tennis all of the people in the photo uh at the usta Billie jean king tennis center in the picture were men and so it clearly is something very strongly to do with the men's game. Andy Murray's already raised the question: Where are women players going to be? I think there's there's a much larger question as this continues. Um, what is the vision for the future? And who wins? Who loses? Is there a future in which everyone wins? Probably not. And so, who are the potential winners? Who are the potential losers? So that's some of my initial thoughts.
0: Okay, uh, I don't, you know, the questions I'm gonna ask, they're gonna be for both of you, not, not just one or the other. So, um, Skip, uh, it, do, you, do you sense in this, and of course, it's, it's very hard to tell at this early juncture, I think, but like you know, we're, we're speaking in a, a very cluttered and uncertain context, but what is your initial sense of this particular tension point? Do you think that this is designed to create disruption, which will force change down the line, or do you see this as part of a, a plan to integrate the PTPA into the tennis structures as they exist, and to negotiate with the various uh, bodies and entities of tennis, such as the tournaments, under current conditions? What, what's your early sense of that? Per- I'm going to. I'm, your- I'm
1: going to punt on this somewhat, and. Tie this in in a way to what Andrew said. I don't think we should have to ask that question at this juncture. I think the idea that they have that they announce a players association without any statement of purpose or goals or under what circumstances one can or cannot be a member, how they intend to operate with the WTA if at all, and the ITF and the ATP, the fact that those things have not are not laid out when you're announcing an association of players in a major sport is, I find, astounding. So while I can tell you what I think, my, what my sense of it is, I think it's kind of silly. I think there's something inimical to, to the fact that we have to ask the question that shows a lack of, um, forethought and good planning on their part. My sense of it is um, that Djokovic especially, um, Pospisil to a lesser degree, I guess since he's been on the player player council, they have felt that the players are not getting their share of the pie in terms of dollars. The interview with Janko Tepsarevich on the tennis podcast of maybe 10 months ago or so was of a similar vein. And I have to believe that Tipsarvich, his perspective is very much that of Djokovic. And I, I'm not suggesting that he's Djokovic's lapdog, only that I, I think that they're close enough that I suspect that their thought processes about this, their thoughts about this are the same. I mean, Tipsarvich went so far as to say, you know, we don't know why, you know, Wimbledon has to be in London. Um, other than the name, I mean, they could take these tournaments and drop them anywhere and they would succeed, which I think is a fairly radical concept. I don't think that they only want to see more money at the top of the game. I think that they, in my opinion, properly, and from what I understand, believe that there needs to be more money further down the ranks in the game. But I don't know, quite know how they expect to affect that. This way, and why, especially with the new with the new leadership of Godenzi at the ATP, um, and after a period of time when people clearly are not the, the the players are the players in this drama, all the players, not the pro, not the tennis players, have not been able to be face to face for so long, so there's been less communication. Um, why there's such dissatisfaction that, as Andrew says, why does it have to be now? Um, so. What do I think their goals are? I wish I could say because they told us. What do I suspect their goals are? I suspect their goals are they believe that they deserve more money, especially from the big four tournaments, uh, should be making their way into the prize money pool.
0: Andrew, what, what's your well, it skip's absolutely your general right. assessment no. of that? And, you know, if you want to kind of just. Uh,
1: okay.
2: Sorry. I, I, I didn't know if that was. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Dropping out um so skip's absolutely right that a concern that's been expressed for quite a long time particularly by Pospisil is revenue sharing uh from the tournaments particularly the the big tournaments the grand slams and one of the documents that we have available uh I think Ubi Tennis uh is, is a good place to go and see this, is concerns expressed by Novak Djokovic um, that the, the ATP structure in its current format, where players are represented on the governing body of the ATP through three board members who are selected by the ATP Player Council but there are three board members out of seven, with three board members being appointed by the tournaments and there being uh, a seventh member, the CEO, that Djokovic has complained that um, the players' wishes weren't fully respected and that they could be outvoted or that there were certain circumstances where the players' voice wasn't listened to. Uh, so you know money concerns and you know a a stronger voice in the direction of the sport are clearly things that the the new players association is designed to address there is a fundamental question of how so Again, I'll, I'll, I'll keep on hammering this nail that the Players' Association in its communications has said to ATP players who it hopes is going to join the association that you can be a member of the ATP in good standing and you can be a member of the Players' Association. That the two things do not come into conflict. and. The ATP itself and the members of the Players' Council who sent a letter to ATP players after getting the the letter sent by Djokovic disagree and say this is not the case, that um, a new player association cannot exist with the ATP, so you've got a, a basic, fundamental disagreement between the the two groups, as I'll call them, as to whether it's the ATP and the Players Association or the ATP or the Players Association. I think that this this is really a fundamental question that that we ought to spend a little bit of time on.
1: Can I? Make a comment about that, please. I I think Andrews hit the bullseye here uh, with his forehand right into the middle of the target. That in, in that, if the if this PTPA is going to have any, where do the professional athletes have leverage? How do they have leverage? They have leverage by refusing to show up. In the end, that's really what their leverage is. And any one of them doesn't have that much. I mean obviously the the top players on either tour the most iconic players have, have more leverage but generally speaking you need a group to not show up you know example the 1973 boycott at wimbledon you have to withhold labor has to withhold its labor in order to have leverage with management and for lack of a better term here we're going to call the all the tournament's management so if you're creating this Tennis Players Association, the only leverage they're going to really have when push comes to shove, um, protestations to the contrary, that they're not about boycotts, has got to be the threat of a boycott. I don't see where else they have leverage, especially as long as the ATP is in existence. So I think Andrew's very much, as he says, hit the nail on the head. I, I use the bullseye, but that's really what's, what you have to expect is down the pike, and from the ATP's perspective, I can see where they say, "Look, you can't do this because the only um leverage again that that a players' association is going to have is to be is going to be to deny your labor and to undercut the tournaments." And of course, we can't abide by that. And now, having said that, I do believe that, as I suggested in the beginning, the nature of the structure in tennis is just mind-bogglingly stupid that the tournaments and the players are aligned both on the men's and the women's side um, in some organization when their interests and goals and best, in, uh, best interests do, do not necessarily align in such a way that they should be in one organization. Having said that, um, I don't see this PTPA as being a well-organized move in either their structure to the date or timing to to try and counter that situation. But clearly the players leverage is in their denying themselves to the public. And of course that's a threat to the ATP.
0: All right. On the heels of that, um, let's, and and, you know, there's so many interlocking issues, uh, to, to deal with. So it's best to kind of separate them out and deal with them one by one instead of bundling them all together. So let's just take this specific point. How much is the pandemic, the reality of the pandemic uh connected to feeding uncertainty about this notion of withholding labor because it's not as though the labor is being withheld, you know, from some players in this case, you know, as a, you know, a labor protest. This is not like the NBA what happened uh earlier this week over the shooting. You know, that was a strike, brief though it was. This is not the same. Like with the six of the top 10 WTA players, that's there's no protest. It's just they're, they're, they're worried about their health and safety. So how much is the pandemic clouding the issue here, do you think? I'm going to start with Skip and then go to Andrew.
1: <laughs> um, I, I think it's clouding the issue because I think it makes communication more difficult. But in terms of do I think the pandemic fomented this? No, I don't. I think it's been brewing for some time. And the appearance of it now, again, as Andrew suggested before, is which actually makes it's happening now the pandemic actually makes it happening now worse because there's less opportunity for all of the um hallway conversations that would otherwise take place every at at the, at the convergences of the tours i mean everybody knows how much business gets conducted at the big four tournaments when both men's and women's tours are there, and especially um Really, I think especially at, at Wimbledon at the and the U.S. and Australian, because it's the beginning of the year. That's not to denigrate the French, but I, I've never gotten the sense that the French, uh, there was quite as much business being done, not that I'm in the thick of it. So I don't see the pandemic having a lot in terms of motivating this happening now, but I see it uh, muddying the waters of trying to make sense of this. Hey,
0: yeah, yeah. Andrew.
2: Well, I think that there's two or three things that the, the the pandemic throws into the mix. I think one thing is you've got people haven't who haven't been able to earn money. Uh, professional tennis players um, haven't been playing professional tennis for some time, and they've spent a lot of time thinking about that. I believe that Milos Raonic complained in a press conference. In the Cincinnati, New York tournament, that in other sports senior executives had taken pay cuts, but that Galdenzi, the the newly appointed ATP CEO, had not, and that that seemed to to be a burr in under Milos's saddle. Um, so I think that the the the, the pandemic has. You know, made people think, you know, where is where is the money coming from? So that's that's one aspect to it. A second aspect which um, gets into the whole tennis ecosystem question is something that we kicked around a bit last week, which is what does tennis look like in 2021 or 2022? And to be honest, when I've read, you know, particularly Vasek Pospisil's commentary about the things that he feels is wrong about the way that the game is organized and the distribution of money there's very much a kind of a 19th century you know bosses versus labor view about the way that um, I think that Pospisil has characterized this that the tournaments are rolling in money and are basically keeping it from the people who make the tournaments happen, which is the players. And I think Christopher Clary had an excellent piece on the economics of professional tennis that he published in the New York Times, I think in April or May this year, which which basically showed that a lot of the smaller tournaments, the 250s and the 500s, let alone the ITF Challenges and Futures, which are notoriously short on cash, that a lot of the smaller ATP tournaments really struggle to break even. And so with the pandemic out there, you have to wonder how many tournaments are, are, are potentially going to go to the wall. You would imagine the slams will survive. You would imagine that most of the, the Masters tournaments are likely on a, a reasonably sound footing. But a lot of the rest of the um, the tournaments are going to be struggling. You wonder how much uh, television money there's going to be. You wonder how much fan attendance there's going to be um, absent uh, a vaccine or the virus going away that permits stadiums to be full of people yelling at the top of their voices. So what the pandemic does is it introduces a huge amount of fundamental economic uncertainty into the very structure of the women's game and the men's game. And so then putting on top of this, this idea that, yeah, we think the players ought to, ought to get more. It gets you to the question of, is there some kind of positive, sum outcome in which everybody gets a little bit more of a bigger pie? That sounds kind of hard to, to envision in 2020, summer of 2020, so you kind of imagine a smaller pie, but with a prominent faction on the men's game saying, "We would like more, and we would like more control." That's a hard ticket to sell, I think.
1: I'll chime in and say that 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 I, I stand corrected somewhat in, in by Andrew's commentary that the pandemic was not really a motivating factor. I hadn't really considered. Um, how this is affecting the lower ranked players and their inability to earn money. And that, that has pushed this. That doesn't mean that I think that it's well-timed or well-considered, but I I personally had not given thought to the idea that the pandemics prohibiting players from earning money was a motivating factor and it's happening now. I think it's a very good point.
0: So, you know, this raises the question of, you know, what would be, and then, uh, this is not about the intent of Djokovic this, or, any, or the PTPA at large. This is not about um, either also the intended outcome. This is really more a process question. And the process question is connected to the timing. So we have these uncertainties, obviously, related to the pandemic in terms of when fans can attend. Uh, I would highly doubt that the Australian Open will have fans because the culture, the public health culture, in australia is much more strict than in the united states so i mean just just off as an offhand observation i would have to think that fans will not be able to attend the australian open at this point uh, and then you have the other uncertainty of when a vaccine will be made available uh, should the central power brokers in tennis wait until fans can attend a, a, events and and there's kind of an economic reset button in terms of being able to assess the damage of fans not being able to attend various events? Should that be the time when a lot of these conversations should resume in earnest? Uh, You know, obviously there's no established playbook for how to handle negotiations of this nature in a pandemic. What do you think should be the the process in terms of the timing for these negotiations? Andrew, you can go first.
2: Yeah, I think that... There's the next the next six weeks are going to be really interesting, not just because we're hoping to have a successful U.S. Open tournament and follow that up with with Roland Garros and, and a Rome tournament, but there there have been quite a few tweets that I've seen which have said, you know, the ball is in the ATP's court now. Okay, the PTPA has launched. The ball is in the ATP's court, and and, and I think it'll be really interesting to see whether the ATP, which I think has has communicated that it doesn't think that the two structures can coexist in the long term, whether the ATP in the short term takes a a draconian, a hardline attitude and says, look, if you've signed up for the PTPA, then we no longer consider you as a member in good standing of the ATP. We'll, um, you know, you don't get to... Enter ATP events in the future unless you pick a side and it's the ATP side, or whether the ATP says, okay, you've launched this. It was not, I think, a an overwhelmingly successful launch because they didn't get Murray, Nadal, or Federer uh, on board at the start and you know, doing a quick count certainly seems to be less than 20 percent and you know maybe 10 to 15 percent of the top players have declared with this new organization if the atp sort of slow plays it and says yes we'll see what happens we won't make any major moves just yet it will be interesting to see if the the new organization gathers momentum On the ATP side, it might be, well, we want to squash this thing in its cradle. Uh, We don't want to let uh, it grow. So I think there's some decisions to be made over the next six weeks or so.
1: I think it would be interesting to know what the legal options are for the ATP vis-a-vis its members. I have no idea what they are. I think Andrew's right that there's certainly right that that, you know, do they excommunicate PTPA members? What what constitutes a PTPA member at this point? Is it simply saying I'm a member? Is there a due structure? Um, is the ATP legally allowed to deny somebody entry to an ATP tournament if they join another organization? I have no idea, but I think the question ha- has to be We have to consider that it's one that needs to be asked. The ATP may know the answer already. I certainly don't. Um, So I I think that's part of it. I I think it it reminds me a little bit of going into a match and and you're not sure whether your opponent is uh, an overwhelmingly powerful player or um, a hacker who you just need to patiently wait out and they're going to, Give you enough errors to let you w- take the W. Um, so the interesting part of the six weeks, as Andrew's suggesting, is what the ATP's tack is and how they see the PTPA, the, how they see the strength of the PTPA. If they think, and I think it's a it's a reasonable uh, assessment not accurate necessarily, but reasonable to say, this is going to, it's going to blow up on its own. Then they just kind of take their time and slowball them as Andrew suggests. If they, or do they feel that the PTPA has the ability to hit winners left and right and they need to be the first ones to the net. So they're first ones to the bar, I, I really don't know what's going to happen in, in that respect. Uh, I think that, the emergence the of PTPA now, absent the women, absent. I mean, it doesn't. Appear, it doesn't appear that there were any overtures to, to the WTA players. I mean, no. No one has, and I'm. I'm taking that as the the proof of that, being that no one said we did talk to them and they didn't want to join us, which I would have to believe it, had that happened would have been said. If this were happening now, you might be able to make the point. The case that the timing wasn't great, but if it was happening now, and there was a unified voice from men's and women's players saying our lower ranks are not protected in the case of the, in, in, in this issue with the pandemic, we've been saying that we're entitled to a larger piece of the pie. We are now united in this statement of purpose, and here is our statement of purpose. I think it would be easier for fans such as ourselves, dedicated fans especially. To be able to say, well, maybe the timing's not great because of how much an, up, an upheaval the world of sport is overall. But we understand what's motivating it, and it's a concerted, unified uh, approach from all of the the world's pro players, or or the you know both sides. Given what it is, however, it, it's very hard to know what to make of it. I think. That, my guess is the ATP is probably sitting down and saying, all right, what are our legal options and how strong are they? And who the hell is a member? I mean, what constitutes being a member at this point? Raising your hand? I, I just don't know the answer to that. Okay. Can, right. I, just,
2: can I just quickly come in and, and say I love sure. Skip's tennis analogy, and I'll, I'll, I'll run with it and say that not having a better answer to how – the top women players fit into this new vision is an unforced error. <laughs> um, the, because I, I, I genuinely do think that, this, that there, there, there is a strand in men's professional tennis which has never really accepted equal pay at the slams. The, that strand believes that the women's game – is valued less and should be valued less than the men's game. And there's lots of talk about, you know, television numbers and and player numbers. My belief is that for something like 80 to 85% of tennis fans, that's an argument that lost 15 to 20 years ago. And that the, the... equal pay at the slams and at combined tournaments and the the essential parity of value of the women's game and the men's game is is something that i think most people who are associated with the the sport now sign up to so one of the things that i've been gaming out as i've been thinking about this is suppose it is the case that the the PTPA becomes the strongest voice for male tennis players. And a result of this is that in a zero-sum or negative-sum world, the tournaments end up making a little bit less. Well, many of us would say players come first. But if it's the case that the, the the pie gets split more towards men than it gets split towards women, a lot of us would say that's a bad outcome.
1: I, I, I would agree with that. I, I also think that the, the idea that somehow the division of money at this point is that the tournaments – well, I, I think there's an understanding that the tournaments – there's a misunderstanding that the tournaments – the five hundreds and two fifties, to say nothing of the tournaments below that, are withholding are, are are earning money that they're not sharing with the players. Whether it's awash with money or not, that they're holding money that really belongs to the players, and that it, that it, that's a financial possibility to to get more from the tournaments. That it's there to be had. That's number one. But there also is less conversation. I mean, I haven't heard Djokovic. As an example, stand up and say, you know, it's really kind of silly for me to get earn three million dollars if I win the U.S. Open this year. I mean, that's just an obscene amount of money. Well, maybe it's, let's let's not say obscene. It's an awful lot of money. So I'm willing to to earn two million dollars to win the U.S. Open, and for that million dollars of extra prize money to go to the USTA because it's a USTA tournament, and for that money to go into the 250 tournaments that happen under the USTA's banner, or the tournament's below that. I mean, we're not seeing – we haven't heard, not, to, not that I've seen, and I'm less well-read than Andrew, but we haven't seen the the top players who have, have made this noise make an equal amount of noise, noise about the fact that the money at the top needs to be lessened in order to spread it down through the lower ranks. And I, I think that that's an interesting part of this whole thing. It's just that they believe that there's more money – there's a pot somewhere that they're not getting – a piece of, or they're they're not getting their hands in. And I I think that's probably true for relative to the the LTA in the UK and possibly with the USTA here. But I'm not so sure that that's the case with the French and the Australian to the same degree in terms of dollars, obviously, they're not dollars in those countries. But I, I don't think that they're seeing quite the same revenue that Wimbledon and the US Open are seeing. Okay, so this
0: brings up, to my mind, a really important point that, you know, Djokovic has been out in front on uh, organizing players and, and trying to f- create, you know, a new movement, um, whether we call that a union or whether we call it just a leverage play, whatever, you know, you, the people are disagreeing on this precise label or the nature and scope of Djokovic's movement, but he has been out front trying to, to change things. And we haven't seen a a, a WTA player of similar ranking and stature involved. So this creates an imbalance, uh, an imbalance in terms of, you know, prominent players at the top tier of a tour, uh, you know, trying to to reorganize um, how tennis is governed. So there hasn't been a really a, 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 a high profile WTA counterpart for Djokovic on this. How much does this, uh, affect your perceptions of the issue. I mean, I think you've both said that you know Djokovic needed to reach out, needed to create a unified front. But to what extent do, is this? Does this fall on top WTA players to you know for someone to step up from that group and and make a statement and organize the WTA half of this? And, and I and I and I make I have to add that you know if Djokovic wants more money to to come from the majors you know, which are not governed by the tours um, to, to, to go to the play. If he wants the majors to provide more money, well, that has to, that does have to involve the women because it's not a tour specific issue. So where, where does WTA leadership and pro- prominent WTA players fit into this? That's really the larger question because we can, we can criticize Djokovic for some things, but at, at some point, a WTA player prominent, you know, not just the lower ranked players. We've talked to some of them on our podcast, Sofia Shapatava, a, a lower ranked player. She came on the podcast with our coach. You know, some of the lower ranked WTA players are organizing and have tried to spread the word, but there hasn't been a WTA player of Djokovic's caliber and global presence. So where, where, where do top WTA players fall into this larger picture in terms of responsibility for, for Generating uh, a movement of their own to work with uh, the Djokovic faction in a united front for reform. Skip, we'll, so you can start there, and then we'll go to Andrew.
1: I'm glad. I'm glad you're letting me start first with such a simple question. <laughs> uh, I, I don't really know the answer to that. I, I mean, so why, why are the who is who on the on the women's tour is is of equal stature in terms of their voice to Djokovic, Nadal, or Federer. There's really, I mean, there's really only one, and it's Serena and possibly Venus. None of the other women really have the same public voice. I mean, it's not that they have no opinions. I don't mean to suggest that, but they don't have that place in, in the public's mind. That's why is probably worth a... a months worths of podcasts. But that is the situation. So I'm not sure who Djokovic would reach out to other than Serena or again, possibly Venus on the women's side and why there are, and, and, and if there isn't anyone, I don't know who I would have expected to step up to all of a sudden assume that mantle because it's not simply a matter of holding a press conference and and unilaterally declaring yourself a major voice for the WTA just because you're in the top ten. So, I think it's a very interesting question. Again, for another day, why there aren't similar voices on the WTA side. But I don't, I, and I I don't know who he would have reached out to, or, or, but that's not to give him a pass on not reaching out to any players. I have to believe that had there been outreach, uh, we would be told as much. It, we, we, it might be, I won't tell you who I spoke to because they declined to be involved and I have to protect their, their, their privacy in this matter. I could get that. But there's been so much commentary about they're not including the women that I have to believe that they did not approach the women about it, given that they haven't said, they, they haven't defended themselves for not involving the women. I'm sorry, that's the best I can give you, Matt. I I I can't, you know, I, I think the I think the rest is probably a master's thesis.
0: We're we're not expecting perfect answers here. I mean we're we're trying to speak in the midst of profound uncertainty. So that's certainly uh you know an answer I'm prepared to accept. I mean we're all we're not speaking from hundred percent knowledge. Um, the so much I'm, of right now is is
1: speculative. I'm so relieved. My shoulders have just been <laughs> just gotten so much lighter.
2: So it's clear that uh,
1: right, Andrew, the, your your thoughts yeah, on it's this? it's clear
2: that the you know the the leaders of the PTPA, Djokovic and Pospisil have heard comments about the apparent exclusion of women. Uh, Pospisil this morning tweeted that regarding the involvement of women in the PTPA, there's active dialogue with the women's side. We recognize the importance of women's tennis and their involvement. This should be evident by the separate movement that started last year where we had support from over 70 of the top hundred ranked from both the men's and women's side. I'm not quite sure what he meant there, but so they're saying that, yeah, we're talking. Skip's absolutely right that there there hasn't, to my knowledge, been very strong political governance voices expressed by women players over the last 10 years or so. And we've kind of gotten used to Federer, Nadal and Djokovic and to a certain extent Murray you know, the the big three or big th- four of the men's game, taking a real active involvement in the government governance of the sport. They've been presidents of the ATP Players' Council. Um, we might remember an Australian Open, you know, I think eight or nine years ago, where Federer was the outside voice and Nadal and Djokovic were the inside voices with the players, saying we think there should be structural reforms in the game. The, the, for example, two-year rankings. Um, so I think that for the last 10 years or so, the the louder voices about governance have come from the male side. Now, you know, one thing I, I really would, would hate to happen is to personalize this in terms of, it's all Djokovic, or it's all Federer, Nadal, or, or Murray, etc. Because I think that that it it really is a more of a question for the the ATP players and the WTA players as a whole to say how do we get the most out of, out of sport and and who's who's got our back? I was talking to someone yesterday on Twitter uh, who made the point that. You know she uh was saying that I was approaching it from an analytical framework, and a lot of the players don't look at it that way they're they're really looking for who has my back so in the in the short term, I can see a number of ATP players saying these guys are are, are standing out for us or standing up for us we're really interested. Will many of the ATP players, apart from Murray and maybe one or two others, be tremendously concerned about what the women are doing? I'm not convinced, but I think that for the wider audience and to have long-term viability and and to be seen as, as legitimate, cutting women out entirely is not going to serve them well. But I eventually come back to this what is what is the long term vision and not just what's the long term vision how are you actually going to get there what concrete steps are you going to take and until we resolve this question um there's that old line a house to start divided against itself cannot stand can the ptpa coexist with the atp or not um I don't think we'll understand what real steps are going to happen in terms of seeing some of the things that the PTPA players want to have happen, happen.
0: Okay. Andrew, uh, you know, on the heels of what you've just said, do you think that Roger Federer's uh, and, and Skip referenced this, his tweet about, you know, merging the tours, you know, back in April do you think that's the short-term uh, way to, you know, to, to unlock some of these tensions and, and co- contradictions and get uh, tennis on a more organized, uh, sound footing? And, and, and if not, I mean, uh, of the various ideas, concepts, proposals that have been floated around by people in the tennis industry for, for years, uh, what what do you see as, as, as uh, the solution which... Not necessarily is the answer to tennis's problems, but has a better chance of emerging in light of all these complications. Do you have any sense of that? No.
2: <laughs> well, so so I'm I'll have a go at this. So the I think the the Federalist tweet was interesting back in April. I remember talking to Mark Petschy about it, and Petchi said Essentially, yeah, but there's a lot of things to consider. And I know that, that a number of, of fans of women's tennis would say, well, yes, provided it's a voice of equals rather than the women's game becomes a bolt-on to the men's game. You know, how could we be sure that we're, we're equals? But in, in the current circumstances, and this is where the pandemic and also what is likely to be a very, very deep and prolonged economic recession enters the the frame Um, i think everyone has to look at a future certainly over the next four or five years where the pie is much smaller so how do we make things work for women and men how do we make things work for tournaments and players how do we make things work for the lower ranked players as well as the top ranked players I know that Federer, in the past, has said, "Look, I don't have a problem with the way that the the prizes are split. If you if you win a tournament, you should get the most money." I wonder if today, as Skip was suggesting, he and others might look at the distribution of prize money and say, "Look, we ought to make this flatter." It's likely to be smaller because the amount of money that will go into the game will be smaller. We need for some period of time to make it flatter because the people who we need to, to to keep in the game are the people who are ranked between 80 and 400 in the game on the women's side and the men's side. You know, the top 80 are likely to be able to continue to make a living. The top 10 will make a very good living. But if we emerge three or four years from now into a future with a completely denuded tennis landscape of very few tournaments and many players having been driven from the game, we all lose. If we can come through it with more involvement, a sense of solidarity, and a sense of laying a foundation on which to build a future, that's more promising. So, anyone who says, "How do we all prosper is likely to have my ears going up more than someone saying, "How do I make sure that my faction does well in the next 18 months?"
1: my I would agree completely i my answer my short answer of no to Matt's question was as a result of an, an understanding Matt's question to be, how do I think this is all going to play out? Do I have an idea of how this is going to play out? To which my answer was no. The, I think a question that's worth asking and answering, which I'll, I'll, I'll take a stab at, is what would be a better structure for the game right now and and it has some reasonable chance of coming about i think an argument could be made that there should be a commissioner of tennis but i will be laid out flat 6 feet under and long have lost any body heat before there's a commissioner running all of tennis i do think however that there is a potential for the sport to become a three-legged stool there's a players association and it's men and women. There are the national associations under the ITF, and there's a tournament organizers or association, for lack of a better term. That, to me, suggests that there can be some stability, and that that the the triumvirate, the the, the trio, will have at it amongst themselves. They all they have competing and common interests, and at least a structure that the fans can understand and can be uniform across both tours we would have a greater chance of coming about the nature of tennis. I've maintained that tennis is really the number one niche sport in the world. However, much people within tennis want tennis to become larger and they look to uh, the the large team sports and the revenues they generate and the incomes that their that the players get. And golf, I would say, is not a niche sport. And there are metrics by which golf is not larger than tennis. And it's certainly the number one women's niche sport in the world. Number one women's professional sport in the world. Um, but the 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 as a niche sport, it has this history of these tournaments. They, they talk to each other as a cabal because they need to. I, what I think about, I guess what I'm getting back to is this. If you think about world championship tennis, Lamar Hunt, world championship tennis, it was the men's game. They ran two tours at the same time, and then they combined them at the, at the year end. And there was a thought given all the time as to where these tournaments were taking place and how they were capturing the widest market possible by virtue of where these tournaments are. Tournaments today are taking place because tournaments are putting up i mean are are able to put up huge sums of money. yes, there are swings around the world, but to a great degree to a larger to a large degree. where those tournaments take place depends on where money can be found to mount the tournaments. I don't see that as being good for the game if we if if by good for the game we mean and I do. That the, that the that it becomes more easily understood. The structure of the game becomes more easily understood by reasonably by 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 fans by sports fans who want to pay attention to tennis but otherwise find it difficult to follow. And I'm not suggesting that we get rid of scoring to make it one, two, three, four to win a game, but that the overall structure just becomes easier. There are studies I've not read them, but there are evidently studies that show that dual gender tournaments. Are received better by the public I can see I can see an increase in those in this three legged stool arrangement, although more courts at a given site become a little bit problematic but there there's not a, a, an overall there's no coordination in terms of how the tour happens such that it works to the benefit of the sport they all these tournaments are fiefdoms that operate in concert with each other because I have to, not because there's any organization overall running them to the betterment of the sport, however you want to define that. So to me, the idea that you end up with a players' association that's representing both tours, both, the two tours operate as one when they can to a greater degree than they do now, the tournaments have their own say, and then the, the associations do under the umbrella of the ITF, that to me I would see as a possible future. Whether it's going to come out of this or not, I go back to my my original response, I have no clue. But that would be a future that I could see coming about and that to my mind would be an improvement.
0: Okay, I've asked questions earlier in this discussion about process. This next question is about results and outcomes that um, tennis players should aspire to and also really the, the various entities in tennis should aspire to. One of the main conflicts uh, involved in the PTPA um, among many, it, and, and it flows from the desire to, you know, get more money from the majors uh, when, when the major tur- tournaments are concerned, you know, that's high end income, you know, with a first round loser getting around $55,000 um, it's not, and it you know generally refers to the top 128 ish, players in the world, why right? we could broaden that and maybe say top 150, maybe even top 200. But so that doesn't really involve the question of, you know, what do, does tennis do for a player ranked 300, 400, 500, scraping by on the challenger circuit in, you know, what can generally be referred to as the minor leagues of tennis. So there's a disconnect there. Wanting to get more money from majors, it leaves a lot of players out of the mix. So how... How does that tension get resolved? And I guess, um, you know, in terms of, in terms of trying to uh, arrive at outcomes, you know, on a, on a short list of outcomes from any attempt to revise tennis governance, what would be like, like your top three or top five on a priority list? You know, what, what things, it's, it's not about the process, it's not about the structure. You know, we've talked about that and we'll have more to say about that, you know, as we go along uh, and as this drama uh, evolves. But just in terms of results and outcomes, what are some of the the, the very foremost priorities that any attempt to revise tennis governance and revise player representation uh, should seek to attain? Andrew, I'm going to go to you and then over to Skip.
2: Yeah, um, I think if we were having this conversation at this time in 2019, we'd we'd have a lot of different answers. I I think that I'm going to limit myself to saying that the the whole of the tennis world has to face up to the idea that, that most likely less money will be coming through tennis in the next two years, possibly longer, and that they, they really do have to start thinking about... Uh, protecting the the future of players and tournaments and and considering radical steps like you know really rejigging the 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 prize money distribution over a two to three year period and possibly you know building it building the the gaps back up again uh so that if you you know if you're getting a three million dollar check for winning the u.s open then you don't change that uh over the next two weeks or so but by 2021 maybe it's a million and a half dollar check assuming that you've got the same prize pool and that you've got the 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 money shared more deeply and then you drive that through the system but how you're able to make Futures tournaments and challenges tournaments and some of the money tournaments that the the lower levels of players play and how you how you're able to keep those on their feet. um, Until you've 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 really addressed the the overall societal question. Um, I, I, I think an orientation of a mindset is to how do as many of us as possible survive and we'll leave thriving for later. But how do as many as of us as possible survive? Uh, I would, I would love to see that. A lot of attention being paid to that.
1: Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I I'm in the process of trying to find uh, prize money for qualifying at the U.S. Open. Not being very successful. Um, t- just to understand what the distribution is of this. I, it is, I don't, it is frustrating that the hundredth golfer in the world, men's tour, is earning a million dollars plus, last I looked. And that's clearly not the situation on the tennis tour. And I wouldn't be surprised if, Tennis player is doing more traveling than the hundredth golfer in the world. I could be wrong about that, and I can't say that I've looked it up. I don't know exactly how that can be. I, I don't know enough to know exactly how that can be rectified. I do know that, as Andrew has said, the two hundred and fifty on men's side, the two hundred and fifty and the five hundred tournaments, much less the challenger tournaments, um, on uh, the feeder the tournaments on, on both tours. Uh, struggle in in order to see uh, a positive number at the bottom line. Sponsorship is just in, incredibly key. None none of these tournaments really get, none of these tournaments get by because of the gate. Uh, how that's going to be redistributed re- redistributed so that that so that, that we have the four hundredth player in the world. Or the, or, the, or the 175th player in the world able to have some, for lack of a better term, job security is something that should be addressed. It doesn't appear to really be in the process of being addressed seriously by anybody who's in a position to change these things. And I suppose that, at the, that that's something that we are assuming the PTPA wants to address again they would be so much better served if they had a mission statement that they came out with period let alone if it addressed that i think the the sport can, could certainly continue to go on the way it has with its uh, everybody for himself uh overarching mentality but it's not going to serve to it's not going to Repair any of these problems, which are not only not going to go away, but at some point we end up getting worse. That's really the best I can say. I I, I don't, I I don't pretend to be able to predict where this is going to go, but I do think that something that that ends up taking the overall picture of the sport into consideration is what we want to see. How that happens, absent there being a a commissioner. is, is the question. No, there's no, because, because the fact is there's, there's no, I mean, there's, there's nobody who can take the sport by the scruff of the neck and lead it into the future. So it has to be, it, it's going to be some uh, cooperative effort, whether it's <laughs> cooperatively done, whether, whether it's done in, in, in loving cooperation or begrudging cooperation there's going to to be some cooperative effort in order to lead in the future with any kind of a better structure.
0: Okay. We're winding down. We've gone, we've talked for a little over an hour and we want to get this podcast out soon. So winding down. um, My last question is a political question that kind of flows from what you just said, Skip. Um, You know, there is no one commanding figure in tennis. Obviously the part of the part of that problem is that we tennis lacks a commissioner who could gather the various parties and say, this is how it's going to be. You know, there isn't that kind of figure, partly just owing to the lack of central governance in the sport. But if there is a figure who can kind of step in here, you know, and Djokovic has planted his flag on one side, and then you've seen Federer and Nadal saying, wait a minute, you know, we got to be more unified. You know, we have these different factions. Uh, there are, you know, there are other factions involved. If there is one player who can kind of get in here in the midst of all this and create and broker some kind of unnecessarily compromise, but can begin to get factions more unified, any assessments as to who that might be? And, and keep in mind that, you know, as we leave the U.S. Open, we go to Roland Garros. So maybe um, power brokers in Europe become a focus there. And then when we think about the 2021 Australian Open, maybe Craig Tiley becomes a more relevant figure. So, you know, in this balkanized, fragmented world of tennis, who is a, a, in your mind, a a possible figure to broker or bridge um, uh, between, and and step in between various factions. Uh, Skip first.
1: Well, I I think you have to name Federer because uh, he has demonstrated, because, because he's so well loved. Worldwide, because he has shown a willingness to enter these, this political fray, perhaps less so than some others, but more so than many, and more so certainly than Nadal. And that's not a knock against Nadal, but they're different personalities. Uh, and he clearly has the heft. There are, in terms of other players, I don't know who else is of a mind to do this. Uh, Murray certainly has the intelligence uh, and a macro view. I am, I'm sorry to say, a little dismissive of Djokovic's macro ability to apply a macro view to these things. I don't think he's done it here particularly well. And I don't think it was done at the Adria tour particularly well. Uh, And I don't really see anyone coming out of the WTA who has shown an interest in doing that and a leadership other than, again, other than Serena uh, or Venus, who I think personality wise is decidedly not given to this. Again, this is much from a distance. Then there are other people who, I mean, is Jan Tiriak that person? He certainly, he certainly leverages enough money to be able to be that person. Uh, is it somebody who's at the, it's, it's not uh Uh, one of the people who's at the top of the ITF, I don't see them. We already have seen that Piquet and his group uh, are are not able to rally the troops around their vision. And I I wouldn't, I'm just saying they're another player at this point because of their position with Davis Cup and who knows where that's going to be in 2021. Uh, I don't really know there's anybody besides Federer. I certainly don't have any ideas to whether or not he would be interested. And, I don't know that there is anybody really, Matt, to answer the question. I think that's, I think really what it comes down to is that John McEnroe would jump at being commissioner, but nobody's offering the job because no one's ready to hand over their, their control. So I I don't know that there are people who maybe we could say would be good at it, but I don't know that there's, and, and who might be more accepted by virtue of who they are, but, but there's nobody that's going to be put forward because no one's going to say yes to the idea. A broker behind the scenes. I think there are probably a lot of people, many of whom we probably don't even know. Um, you know, uh, uh, Horst. I'm trying to think of his last name from the German Federation has been, you know, has been very vocal in his his discussions about uh, Davis Cup. Um, uh, was it uh, Guidicelli from uh, from France? You know, mucked about in in the Davis Cup debacle and was protected by Haggerty and, and so forth in, in that situation. Tylee is clearly a smart guy in Tennis Australia, is very potent. I mean, they, they're outsourcing or they're, they're being used as an, as an outsourced uh, vendor for things like Labour Cup, has clearly given them uh, uh, inroads into many hallways where they otherwise would not be as a national association. So I see all those people having conversations, as well as Godenzi, of course uh and, and alistair but but who could step up and 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 be the person be the person that does it i don't know that there is one and if there is it's not somebody that's that's clearly obvious to me andrew
2: Well, i was kind of hoping that skip was just going to say no so that i could say <laughs> no as well <laughs> <laughs> um no i mean the Kind of had as as Skip was talking, I kind of had this idea of Rod Laver coming in as as tennis's savior. But I I I I actually think that there's so many things in life that expecting a person to be someone who delivers something really um, isn't the way that things play out. That politics is messy. That compromises are messy, and you need to have goodwill, you need to have vision, you need to have someone who will work the details. Um, so it, 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 it it's almost always a, a team effort. Um, a thing to watch out for, obviously. So, you know, clearly, I don't think any of us come in and say, we have the solution, here it is. And then everyone would listen and say, yes, you're brilliant. Thank you. We will adopt it straight away. Um, There's no obvious solutions. I think one of the things to watch for is centrifugal versus centripetal forces. That The thing that, that I've kept on emphasizing is that the yeah, the situation is dire. I, I genuinely believe this. I believe that the, the ripples from the pandemic will be with us for many years to come and that many of the institutions and the things that we valued and took for granted in the last 10 years or last 20 years are going to be shown to to be on on weaker foundations than we thought. So then that makes me think, do you have people who whose natural inclination is to go to different corners and then to want to fight it out? Or do you have people whose natural inclination is to say, how can I create a large enough space and enough pie that, that everyone can share the space and share the pie? So my hope for the short term is that you know the the ptpa has launched it doesn't immediately dissolve into almost literally fratricidal warfare that there there isn't some immediate countermeasure by the atp um there is some attempt to to create some dialogue and then to to go beyond there um, otherwise, not just because of the PTPA, but all of the other forces that, you know, are, are pulling tectonically at what's going on. Um, things can fall apart very rapidly. Any
0: think- final remarks, gentlemen, on any of this? Just open mic time as we
1: close our show. I don't know if I will ever get over, not that this is a the biggest thing in, in the world. I will. I, I just, the in, in today's world, where there is so much attention paid to the concept of inclusivity and diversity and, uh, and, and feminist thought. Naming an organization, the Professional Tennis Players Association, when it clearly at its outset does not include women, is, I, I, I know one of two things. Either they didn't pay some, either they didn't, either they didn't pay McKinsey to come up with that name, or I should have gotten the money. I would have charged half of what McKinsey did, and I would have avoided the faux pas. It reminds me of the, this, this establishment of the ATP when there were discussions to include the women and the, the men that were involved decided not to. I mean, you realize that the, the, the two names are the Association of tennis players. And the Women's Tennis Association. I mean, one seems to suggest it's everybody when in fact it's not. And the other says it's gender specific. And here we have, you know, decades later, the same linguistic faux pas being being, uh, committed. I I just don't get it. That leaves me scratching my... I'm sorry to leave you with my final thought being me scratching my head. But that's really what it is.
0: Skip, that's where we are. It's 2020. That's the world we live in.
1: Well, I, I, but, but I, I guess it, it, it's, I cannot be called a PC person. I'm, I'm not somebody, I mean, I, I, but I, I just think it's just, it's not a matter of being politically correct. It's a matter of what actually makes sense as I see it. And I just, I like I said, I, if they paid a marketing company to come up with that name, they paid them too much. And they could have gotten away by paying a lot less than hiring me um, or any one of a number of people. Now it didn't need to be me, but they could have saved some cash. Andrew final remarks.
2: Well, I'd like to know who Sam query talks to because uh, having him sign the, uh, the ATP player council letter with uh, Anderson Federer Nadal, Bruno Suarez and, uh, the other guys, and then suddenly turning around and saying, "Oh yes, but actually I'm part of the p g p a too, as as has been rumored uh, i i don't think Query himself has announced anything. I went to check on his Twitter feed before this uh podcast and found that that his last entry was in two thousand thirteen, so that wasn't very helpful to me but uh I, I you know, I think that we're in for a confused but interesting time. Um, I, I do not have clarity about where we are, but I think as Skip says, that's 20, or no, maybe Matt, it was you. That's 2020, you know, should we expect things to be clear? No. Um, (laughs) You know, the, uh, what is it? The, uh, the sweet meteor of death, you know, becomes more inviting every time.
1: So anyway, 2020. Onward through the fog.
0: Something like that. Well, that is a thematically perfect note on which to end our show. Skip Schwartzman and Andrew Burton, both uh, Tennis with an Accent analysts. Uh, Skip, it's been great to talk to you. Haven't heard from you in a while. Thank you for making time on, on your weekend for us. Andrew, thanks as always.
1: Thanks for the invitation, Matt. Appreciate it. Yep. Cheers. All right. Take care, Andrew.